LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Morning. Thanks for joining me here on LBC 97.3 this Sunday morning. Coming up in an hour, we've got some great people for In Conversation With. But first, my best bits from the week. And over the weekend, I managed to catch up on some television and I had to tell you about it on Monday morning. I did see... uh, I I did see the Made in Chelsea programme. I did actually watch a whole episode because I had... I did know I was familiar with the characters. It's just that I hadn't watched it properly. And so I sat down and I can't remember when it was on, but I'd, I'd done myself some some garlic uh, French bread with grated cheese on the top, which was particularly delicious. And as I'm fasting at the moment and having been fasting and I'm not having a blood test for another five hours, so I can't have any food. I can't have any tea or coffee. That's so all I've got is water. I'm the most miserable person under the sun. So if I sound particularly bitter this morning, there is a reason for it. It's because I haven't been allowed to have my medication. So my my quantity of tablets, which keep me roughly in the real world, uh, will have to wait until five past nine. And so I might start... I might start sort of sounding as if I'm a bit drunk. Okay, now I I want you to understand that I'm not. I say that because I feel that I'm slowing down a little bit. Because normally in the morning, as you know, I cheat a bit and sometimes have a little bit of chocolate, which kind of boosts me up for the programme. It's a little bit like sort of somebody having a drink before the show and just sort of quickly throwing down a large vodka. But I, d- I don't drink first thing in the morning. I spill most of it. And so, I've, so I haven't had anything, so I might sound as I'm slurring. So I apologise in advance for sort of not being maybe up to par, but it's only because I've got to have this big blood test today and the, the blood pressure. So they've allowed me ten minutes for the appointment. Whee! Love things like that. So anyway, what was that? Yes, yeah, so I watched the Made in Chelsea programme. Now, this is about a group of... OK, yeah. All the boys are sort of terribly... T- there's, there's somebody called... Is it Proudfoot? Proudfoot? Proudlock. Have you ever heard of anybody called Proudlock, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, I thought it might have been his surname, but it's apparently his Christian name. Well, I'd never heard of it before, so I, I, sort of, I went through all the books to find out if it's quite common. Oh, his first name's Oliver, is it? So is Proudlock his surname? But everybody calls him Proudlock, because if, if you go to, like, you know, a, a, a public school with Binky and people like that, you generally use your, your surname, because that's how people refer to you at school. So, you know, I was Alan Minor. You know, because it was an Alan Major and stuff. And so th- that, that's how it goes on. But anyway, so I'm sort of watching it. And all I can deduce from it is they spend a lot of time doing bro and thinking that they're a bit streetwise. But they're not really because they're, they're, they're out of public school and, and they think they're sort of maybe business people. They do obviously like going on holiday. We did have that strange creature who's got the long hair who decided, Ollie... To have it cut now, Ollie can't make up if he's if he's Arthur or Martha. He's got no idea. He sits there in his bewildering little world. I mean, I think he's he's Martha. To be honest with you, I don't care what anybody says. I think that people who go, uh, I'm really into women, are just lying to themselves. And this poor creature is. So anyway, uh, Ollie has decided to have his hair cut. Now Ollie's had very long hair for a long while, and is it cut off? And his friend, who's blonde and might might be Arthur or Martha as well, I don't know. Uh, sits holding his hand practically because this is terribly traumatic for for Ollie to have his hair cut off. And then they present it to him afterwards. To be honest with you, I mean, he was deeply unattractive before. He, he was less attractive after he'd had it done. And, I mean, Ollie's ex-girlfriend, you could see how... Because she's a bit blokey, you know. And you could see how he would get confused. 
about things. And he quite clearly thinks that he's... I mean, but he went out and spent a lot of money on a wardrobe. And this means he's having a bit of a crisis, because they were trying to fix him up with this girl. So they're, they're sitting down at this hotel, which I know very well. And uh, I don't know if people went there for dinner. Anyway, so obviously they, they, they do. And, and they were sitting there, and she's saying, Is it, you're sending out very confusing messages, Ollie, because... You know, one minute you're, you're into guys, the next minute you're into, you know, and so, and so, so it went on. Anyway, all of that paled into insignificance when you actually discovered that Spencer... Now, you remember Spencer, don't you? Spencer was the one who uh, obviously thought, a little bit like Mark Wright, that he could go on and be a personality on television and be a presenter. Unfortunately, as you can well imagine, Spencer has got the attention span of a gnat... He has no talent whatsoever apart from snorting cocaine, which, unfortunately, the poor little soul got caught doing and banged to rights. The sun stitched him up like a kipper on the front page. Because if you're stupid enough to do drugs, then, you know, you kind of have to pay the consequences. Luckily, I've always been far too mean to spend money on drugs. So that's a very good reason that I don't need to worry about it. And... So Spencer has an on-off girlfriend. On-off, on-off, on-off. Her name is Louise. Louise is quite pretty. She's, uh, she's able to hold a conversation. But into the scene comes Andy. Andy, of course, who uh, is, uh, is good-looking. And, uh, and he, he likes Louise. He's, he's kind of, you know, seen her from afar. And, and, he, and he likes her. And he's, and he's told his friends he likes her as well. Because they all share the same friends. Now, I don't know if the Made in Chelsea programme is similar to the Essex show, whereby they set up scenarios. I don't know. I don't know whether scenarios are set up or whether or not it's as near to real, real life as you can actually get. So, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I, mean I, I, I quite see, yes, that somebody would say to Ollie, you know, go, go and get your hair cut. And they go, yeah, OK, that's fine, because it's taken him long enough. Oh, and, oh, right, Ollie used to go out with Chloe Green. Is that old, uh, is that What's-It-Green's daughter, the little short fat thing that popped up in the series with the shoes? Oh, right. She isn't in the series anymore, is she? Quite wise, quite wise. It's no good having a daddy who's immensely rich, but you've got nothing to go with. Th- th- this is the other ex, Gabriella. It's a ladyboy, isn't it? It's a ladyboy. I mean, I'm looking at Gabriella here, who's had uh, a number one hit in Greece with Hit the Road Jack, and she's influenced by Lady Gaga, Christina Aguilera. Which is great, isn't it? Got to be influenced by somebody. I'm, in, I, I'm, I'm influenced by Fuzzy Felt Farm. You know, that was the kind of thing that changed me in Fuzzy Felt Post Office, which I was very happy with. But um, apparently she's the only cast member, Gabrielle Ellis, who went to state school. Oh, dear. So she's very common indeed. I don't think we'll mention her on the programme again. So anyway, so, so Spencer is there with his on-off relationship. And he's going out with Louise. But to be honest with you, the reason that Spencer's relationship is on-off is because he's a druggie. Now, the reason I say that is because if you do drugs, your mood swings vary. You know, one minute you're high as a kite and you're very happy and you whoop, 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 whoop. And the next minute, when you don't have any drugs, you're kind of, you're down on your luck. Unfortunately, uh, Spencer Matthews' cocaine shame was exposed in the Sun newspaper. He tried to buy up all the shots of him snorting cocaine. Uh, he flashed his family's vast wealth to fellow party uh, goers. Unknown to him, he was secretly filmed hoovering up the drug. Uh, well, it's, you know, more fool him. The man is a twit, a stupid, ugly, silly little boy who hasn't got the faintest idea how to behave with real people. So poor Louise is sitting there. Now, she doesn't know where she is with him. To be, to be honest with you, Louise, 
I would have ditched him ages ago. The man's a plank. You know, he's as thick as a brick. He's also, he's not very pleasant. There's a nasty, nasty side to him. Whether it's when he's off drugs or on drugs, I don't know. I don't know to the extent uh, his drug-taking is. I know that I'm looking at pictures of him snorting cocaine. If he thinks that makes him a better person, then he's more stupid than he looks. Anyway, so over they are in... Were they in Saint-Tropez or Cannes? They was in Saint-Tropez. Now, Saint-Tropez is not quite as upmarket as Cannes. It's a bit like... Cannes is for super-rich. Saint-Tropez is for backpackers. You know, wannabes. People who go there and they apparently now... I think Andy had a yacht or a boat or it was rented. And he invited a load of people on there and they were all enjoying... You know, the boys are there drinking champagne and doing all this kind of thing and talking about how much they love the girls. And Andy... hope you're following this. Andy fancies Louise, but Louise is on-off with Spencer, the one who does the cocaine, OK? But also used to have a girlfriend called Funda. He apparently has also dated actress Tara Reid... He also is another one who started out as a PR manager for renowned London clubs such as Modiva, uh, Amica and Bugis. He now works as a broker. In other words, you know, probably next week he'll be assembling matchstick models or something. You know, because he doesn't really know what he is. You know, when they say that he's a PR manager for London clubs, that means diddly squat. And also a broker. What experience has he got being a broker? His parents own a hotel... The Eden Rock Hotel in St Baths, where Spencer took a group of his closest friends for a luxury 21st birthday party. Have you noticed? He had to take them. They didn't take him. You know, he has to buy his friends in. But anyway, all of that's neither here nor there. So, poor old Louise is sitting there. She's with a girlfriend. And uh, then the girlfriend says, uh, shall I go and get uh, some drinks? You know, like orange juice or something. So she goes off. And Andy, who fancies uh, fancies Louise, came over and said, look, uh, hi, um, you know, met before. Quite a good chat-up line. Um, you know, I've, I've always liked you and I've seen you from afar and I'd like to get to know you. And she goes, you know, she's loving the attention. She's loving the attention without realising that secretly away from all of this, Spencer has no idea that somebody is muscling in on his girlfriend. Now, he's so insecure within himself that he's so stupid and his mind is so confused by everything that when somebody says to him, oh, and it's the blonde boy. The blonde boy says to him, oh, Andy was, is apparently really interested in Louise. And Spencer goes off at once, so says something to him at the swimming pool in saint Trop, OK, because he's like a bro, and says, yeah, hi, I'm Spencer. And he's trying to play big and butch, but he comes over as just a bit of a drip. So Andy is holding his ground because he's done nothing wrong. He's spoken to a girl. He's spoken to a girl. So, you know, she's in a relationship, she's out of it. He's allowed to speak to people, unless, you know, Spencer is so you know, so much of a, a control freak that he doesn't want to talking to anybody else. Well, it's going to happen, and eventually she'll kick him in the small spherical objects and leave him and go out with somebody more decent who doesn't do drugs. And so the, the scenario is that she talks to Andy. Andy then gets confronted by Spencer. Anyway, they then all end up back in London because we've, like, had super-duper holiday. It was fantastic. Party time at three of the boys' house. Three, three of the boys are sharing a house together. And so they have party time. And Louise pitches up, and so does Andy. And Andy goes out to talk to Louise. And Louise is talking to a friend of hers. And, and Andy says, listen, can I just have a, a moment to explain? You know, I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry if I, you know, upset you or anything like that. Unfortunately, in the meantime, Spencer has come into the house... And he's standing in there, and they're saying, oh, yes, because he's... Uh, and he went, so let me get this straight. He's talking to her now. And they went, yeah, out on the balcony. 
So he goes out there and he tries to muscle it out. But Spencer is like a giant powder puff. You know, you could go, and he'd fall over. He's that, he's that sort of drip. You know, you know what people are like. When they've done drugs, they think they're big and big and butch and all this kind of thing. And he's none of these things. He's just a bit drippy as a, you know, chronically bad presenter. Uh, who actually doesn't do it. An embarrassment probably to the family, I should imagine. And so he goes out there and he says to him, listen, you know, I told you. I thought I made this clear. And he said, I'm just talking. He said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, why don't you ask her? Why don't you ask Louise? Why don't you ask your girlfriend? And so, anyway, so it's finished now, and Spencer is, like, really cross. Spencer is, like, about to throw his toys out of the pram. And it, what's so funny watching it is that he thinks he's a bit like Mark Wright in any way's Essex. His ego is only equalled by his shoe size. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. He's as thick as a plank. He's not a very nice person. He's got a very nasty streak to him, which means that, you know, he's almost the sort of person who would probably try and hit somebody. But because we know he does drugs, that kind of lowers him down the social scale. Whereas, you know, Andy is a much nicer person. And he's saying, listen, what are you saying? I can't talk. I mean, Louise should have turned round and said, listen, are you saying I can't talk to anybody? If a bloke comes and talks to me, I can't do that. Spencer, who's, who spends a lot of time obviously looking in the mirror and grooming himself, needs to get the reality check. Unfortunately, as I say, he's not very pleasant, he's not a very nice person, and he's a rather silly little girl's blouse. Apart from that, I'm not watching the programme at all. I'm sure I'll be updating you on their progress next week as well. Well, let's have a quick break here, after which we have another pointless story about our favourite drunk. That's right, Sarah, I've been to rehab. Harding. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. Tuesday brought us some fantastic news about my favourite comedian. Well done to him. I had to smile yesterday. Frankie Boyle got his libel case against the mirror. They, uh, they called him a racist. He took him to court and he got 59... No, sorry, 54,650 quid in damages. So that'll teach the mirror to, uh, to make statements against him. Of course, he doesn't actually write for the mirror. He writes for the sun. But, uh, but they'd actually called him a racist comedian and saying he'd been forced to quit the BBC panel show Mock the Week which was a lie, and it cost them money. And it's, and it's a bit silly, really, because, you know, Frankie Boyle, he doesn't do any harm. It goes to prove that he isn't what they said he was. The jury, and it was a jury trial, decided that uh, he was right. Which means, and he, I think he conducted his own defence. I, I think he defended himself on jury service. So, well done. And uh, he claimed that the Mirror article was defamatory and brought him into odium and contempt. And it was. It was absolutely defamatory. See, the, the, the good thing is, I always love it, you know, when, when sort of people write in to me and say, I'm going to take you to court because you've, uh, you've libelled me. Well, actually, they, they always get it wrong. They, they can't quite work out which one it is. And I've always said, no, 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 you can't libel a group of people. So, in other words, you can't, you can't libel uh, the dead. And you can't libel, say, like, estate agents or cab drivers. You can't libel them. It's just not possible. It's a group of people, and it's uh, as easy as that. Uh, more on Jimmy Savile. In fact, it just goes on and on. Now the Newsnight editor's blog is inaccurate, and, uh, and he's, he's moved sideways, which is, uh, which is slightly strange. I don't know where this is going. I really do. I've, I've read all the articles. I know all about it. I know how the BBC operates. I've got friends who work there. They're all, they're all just trying to... I think, push it away and hope that it disappears. It's not going to disappear just yet, but I think it's going to be around for quite a while. Dawn French 
is pictured out with her new love. His name is uh, Mark Bignall. And he's, he's something to do with charity. And could you believe this statement? I know we get funny statements. Mark Bignall claims he's never seen her on television. Is he an ostrich or something? Is he, is he an ostrich? I begin to wonder, actually. I mean, how can you go out with somebody like Dawn French and say, I've never seen her on television? I mean, how is this possible? I mean, either he's the world's biggest fibber, or he's just trying to make some sort of story. You, what, from the Vicar of Dibley to Dawn and French to all the... the he's never seen her... Well, who did he think she was? I mean, you just, you just can't believe it, can you, really? You've just got a horrible feeling that there's going to be a story emerging about him. Don't you just get this feeling in the same way that Denise Welsh has a boyfriend who apparently is a bit of a naughty boy as well. But there again, never let... Mind you, she's disappeared, hasn't she, thank God? Although the other story, do you know, sometimes you think you, you are maybe a little bit cynical. But uh, when, when I go through the papers in the morning... There's two stories I don't want to read about. I don't want to read about anybody from The Only Way is Essex because they're a bit stupid. And, and I don't want to read about anybody from Girls Aloud. But there's one person in, in Girls Aloud who seems to crave publicity. And there is one person who's been in and out of rehab, face down in the gutter. She's been addicted to this. She's been addicted to that. She's broken down. She's been with her boyfriend. Sold every aspect of her life. There is nothing I do not know about Sarah Harding. So when I come in this morning and there is a, a picture on the front page of The Sun, girls allowed Sarah's cancer scare. And I think, oh, blimey, how much worse can it get for this girl? And then you say, and, and you read the headline. Now, this is what I call sensationalist journalism. Girls allowed Sarah Harding was last night in the grip of a skin cancer scare. The 30-year-old singer had three uh, potentially... Cancerous moles removed from her back last week and is awaiting test results. So in other words, they've got no idea, but already it's cancer. That's it, it's cancer. Sarah Harding has got cancer. And so they go through it, and you think, has she told them? Well, you don't know, because a source close to Sarah told The Sun, this is an incredibly stressful time for her. Every time I see her in the paper, it's an incredibly stressful time for the rest of us as well. Because you begin to think, either you've leaked this via somebody... Or your agent has put this out there in the public domain. This is surely a private thing. They've removed it and they've done it successfully and they did it last week. And all this is is, an, is a cheap plug, you know, for their greatest hits album. I wasn't aware they'd had enough hits to fill an album, but I could be proven wrong. And, uh, and then they sort of write bits about this. Well, loads of people have this done every day, but you don't do a sensational story like Cancer Alert. And this, she's had them removed. They don't know anything about them and the source close to Sarah. Does she sit there? She's like Diana and phone up the press and go, Sarah Harding, it's Sarah Harding, just all these things. You know, I don't want to read about it. She's been in rehab. She's had a battle with booze and sleeping pill addiction. You know, I mean, quite clearly nobody else in Girls Aloud has had this, so she must be the weak one. She's the weak link. And the answer is she's never done a day's work in her life. She had a couple of little spells where she sort of, she appeared in a tiny, minuscule role in a St Trinian's film. She sort of, she did a lot of posturing in Girls Aloud. She was never a great singer. Nobody ever picked her up afterwards. But, oh, Sarah Harding will make you a star. And all she's done is she's, she's a bit Tara Palmer Tomkinson. She's what I call a bit needy. You know, and the, the, the producer says that she watched their new music video earlier. Sarah's hardly in it. And when she is, she's naked. Oh, dear. I mean, you know, sell yourself, you know, cheap, and the public observe you as cheap, I'm afraid. It's colours and prints projected. Oh, it's one of those ones, is it? 
I mean, to be honest with you, nobody ever bothered about Sarah Harding. You know, I was reading more about her love life and how she sold... And here she is with her boyfriend, and here's their flat, and here's this. And unfortunately, as far as I'm concerned, and this has always been my, my argument, if you sell every aspect of your life, you can't go crying to the press when you get picked on. You know, and to, to read a front-page story, her cancer scare, I bet the rest of the group are going, oh, Sarah, give it up, for God's sake. You know, terrible though it is, let's wait and see what the result is before you start selling the stories to the paper about how awful it is. It's almost like she's sort of waiting for the call from OK magazine to sell that the next bit of her story. It's a bit like Kerry Coke-Toner. You know, Kerry Coke-Toner was a waste of space first time round. But I think there's a, um, an ITV2 programme which is putting together old groups that finished their, their careers 300 years ago, and I think one of them is Atomic Kitten. Well, I don't know why they're putting Kerry Coke-Toner in it, because by the time Atomic Kitten had hit, she was nowhere to be seen. She can't sing. You know she can't sing. We've seen her on television. She can't even mime very well. So the thought that Sarah Harding can sing is almost a joke. When I watch the people on The X Factor, they're so multi-tracked. You couldn't really tell if they were singing or they weren't singing. So that's how that works. In fact, I was looking at the boy bands thinking, oh, Simon Cowell's going, another boy band. OK, that's a quick album out there, and then they'll disappear. There's, there's one on the uh, internet today. In fact, all of them, I think, on the X Factor, these uh, little boy bands, or as I prefer to call them, sort of half a boy band till one comes out as gay, which generally doesn't take too long. Because we were sitting in the office earlier on looking at one particular boy band and they've got their shirts off. And I said to the producer, which one's gay? And we both picked the same one. We went, that one, that's the gay one. But they all take their shirts off and talk about their fans. They've not been in the charts. They've not had any hits. But they've already got fans and they do appearances. I mean, it's pathetic. It's so pathetic. It's, it's tragic. It really is. Uh, other stories in the papers today. There's um, BBC... Ch- this, you know, this, is, this is just going on, isn't it? I mean, I cannot believe that every day... And this started when I was away on holiday. So three weeks in, two weeks in, we're still running the Jimmy Savile stories. And last night, the BBC chiefs have been accused of betraying licence fee payers by misleading the public over Jimmy Savile. And I go back to the same argument that we had on day one... He was the biggest star that they had. He had the most successful programme. He had a huge association with the royal family. I've noticed they've been fairly quiet on the subject. You don't think somebody should go in... You can't interview Prince Charles, can you? They've got what? Nude Royal. Exactly. I mean, they have got more sort of worries about, you know, Naked Harry and stuff like that without worrying about Jimmy Savile and things like that. But he was very close. In fact, I remember in the back of my mind, I've seen pictures with Jimmy Savile with Prince Charles uh, because he did charity and the charity was the thing, and I think, that kept him out of the papers for any misdemeanours. But I distinctly remember that there was a newspaper in Fleet Street that was investigating two celebrities. One of them was Jimmy Savile. The other was a, was a current presenter on the television who was being investigated for something else, not, not related with Jimmy Savile in any way, shape or form. But they were going to do him, but the reason that they didn't... And the reason I was told, and we were right in the middle of Fleet Street, right slap bang in the middle, was... Um, was the fact that he had a close association with the Queen Mother. And because he raised millions for charity, and that's why they didn't want to do anything. That's why they they left him alone, and leave him alone they did. Now he's dead. The BBC, of course, who knew about these things. So many people. I mean, if, if their journalists didn't know what Jimmy Savile reputation was, then they were idiots and they should never have been allowed in the NUJ in the first place. Uh, millions of us have to work forever, according to the Express today. And uh, and also, uh, there's a, a toddler here who died after waiting 70 minutes at a doctor's surgery. I don't know what sort of doctor's surgery that is, because I thought that they changed the system. And the system is now that you go in and you make an appointment. 
So if you've got an appointment... Yesterday I had an appointment for five past nine, and I was seen at six minutes past nine. So that's what you do. You go in, and you... And you have an appointment with us. I've never heard of just sitting there, unless it's different in different parts of the uh, of the country. You know, it's uh, it's sort of it, it's a little bit it's a little bit strange that something like this would ever happen. Would ever happen? I tell you, the one story you're going to get annoyed about this morning is Carol Vorderman, who says she's never weighed herself. I can tell you, darling. You know, some of it, so one one big part of you is going to be quite heavy. Okay, and that'll be your bum. Okay, because we've seen the pictures. I mean, I love the idea. I've not weighed myself for twelve years. But uh, she's currently filming a new TV cookery contest and said she enjoys eating without guilt. Don't you hate people? If you hated her before, you're going to hate her even more. You're going to hate her even more because she says she's never been vain. Oh, Carol, you liar. Of course you're vain. Everybody who looks in a mirror is vain. Otherwise you wouldn't bother looking in a mirror and doing your makeup and changing your hairstyle and putting your clothes on to be photographed by the press. That's what, of course you're vain. Every single person in the business Carol Vorderman's been in the papers a lot recently. I've no idea why. Oh, well, I'm sure she's plugging something. Well, coming up at six, we've got In Conversation With, but now the latest headlines at 5.30. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Morning. You're listening to the best bits of Steve Allen here on LBC 97.3. At six this morning, as always, in conversation with... Let's carry on with my best bits. And over the next couple of weeks, people will be starting to wear poppies again as we prepare for Remembrance Day. Arthur's written us a poem for Poppy Day. It's to encourage you to go out and buy a poppy. I try and encourage you to buy them. I'll tell you where you get the best ones. In Waitrose last year had the metal badges, you know, the metal poppies. And uh, I've got quite a few of them. I buy them, but I, I'm, I'm not one of those cheating people that uses last year's. I should go and buy some new ones. And in fact, when we were down at the, uh, the, um, uh, what was it? Where did I go to the other day in Covent Garden? Oh, I went to the uh, the Masons, the the Masonic uh, temple, and just over the road there is a shop where they sell all the Masonic uh, regalia and they do badges, and they sell the Poppy Day badges as well in metal. They're only like two pounds. It's nothing. So Arthur sent us a poem. It's only a short one. He said it's not up to. Uh, not up to the usual standard of the person who generally writes your, uh, your poems, our black cab driver. So he's, this one's called Poppy Seller. You see them out on the street the same time every year, shaking their collecting tins for everyone to hear. They stand there, whether rain or shine, in the hope that you will stop, and into their collecting tin any spare change you will drop. In return, you will get a poppy coloured red and help the families of servicemen, both injured or sadly dead. So please donate generously and show the world you care. Don't let them see you walk around with a buttonhole that's bare. There you go. Short poem, but uh, well worth it. It's to encourage you to, to buy a poppy. And you're not just buying it for yourself. You're buying it for all the people who gave their lives for you. People who, whose families are listening now. Young servicemen who've been killed. And, uh, and people who, uh, who won't be coming back. People who've been maimed and injured. That's what you're buying it for. You're buying it for them. So make sure you buy. Uh, metal poppies can be bought on the Legion website as well. Get a metal poppy. They're nice. I mean, I like all of them, to be honest with you. But, uh, but the metal poppies I do like. They're a little bit tiny, but they're, they're cer- certainly good. And so uh, go out and give generously. They're not just, you know, if they say they're £2, I always give a fiver. You know, you give whatever you can. 
Give whatever you can. They're, they're, they're grateful for everything, the work for the, for the Royal British Legion. Do give. They're going to launch the appeal at 12 noon today from Trafalgar Square. They'll be talking to Helen Hill, spokesperson from the British Legion, and also Bill Kay, who's the manager of the Poppy Factory, which is in Richmond, down the road from me. They hire the ex-servicemen and women, both able-bodied and disabled, to make the poppies. And they make them all year round because they're making thousands. And the honour, of course, is to make the ones for the royal family and the wreaths that they'll be using for the Remembrance Day service. And if you're lucky enough to have tickets for the Remembrance Day service at the Royal Albert Hall and you've never been before, it's uh, one one of the most moving experiences that you will ever ever experience it is it is done with military precision they do two shows if show is the right word and i've been every year for the last five or six years and each time it never fails to make me cry each time it never fails and it's always at the same point it's when they bring on the war widows the people who've lost their husbands at very early ages or people who lost their husbands many many years ago but they bring them on and they they walk through the Royal Albert Hall. I mean, it is, it is just, it's not just the poppies that come down from the ceiling and the fact that the servicemen and women who are working there give you armfuls of poppies to take away, which you put in your programme. It's got nothing to do with that. It's just the fact that we should celebrate the fact that a lot of these young men and women gave their lives. They faced the ultimate sacrifice. So whatever money you can give for the Poppy Day appeal, it's never enough. It's never enough. If somebody said to you, you know, uh, 50 pence to thank somebody... For, for making the world that you live in now a better place? Is that too much to ask? A million pounds wouldn't be enough. A million pounds. So whatever you can give, give. Poor uh, Alan is in uh, Costa Rica, and he says, I'm working at the British school, and uh, he said they do nothing for Poppy Day. I know, it's, it's very much just here, I'm afraid. You could always cut one out of a newspaper, Alan, or I'm sure if you wrote to the Royal British Legion... And you'll find them on the internet. They would arrange to uh, to send you some poppies out. Or failing that, if you sent them some money in an envelope, they would put some poppies in the post to you. But they launch it at 12 o'clock today. So uh, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the best advice I could say. You know, stick some money in an envelope and say, can you send me a couple of poppies, please? Because I'm out here and I want to do, do my bit for the servicemen and women. It's, uh, it's, it's just something we should do. I don't care what anybody says. This is um, Catherine Jenkins, and the story that's in the paper today, the reason she apparently had to deny she was having an affair with him, which, as I say, I mean, I'm in the, I'd never heard any rumours of this. Any, and normally I'm the first person to hear a rumour, or perhaps I'm out of the loop at the moment, but uh, she said she received death threats, so she had to come out and talk about it. And people have said, well, who was saying these things that you were having an affair? There was, there was never any mention about it at all. You know, never any mention about it at all, and yet here we are now now talking about you and David Beckham, and I wish somebody had actually uh, asked David Beckham about it. <laughs> Wilma says, I have for the last two years sold poppies. People are very generous and kind. It's great fun. Yes, I mean, we had that situation, didn't we? Was it in Liverpool, where a poppy seller up there, a young poppy seller, was spat on. Spat on, if you please. My three Asian lads who spat on her and stole her poppy tin and we've had that a few so what they've started doing with the poppy tins is they've if they're young people going out there collecting they've started putting chaperones with them to make sure because people pinch things i know it seems horrendous that somebody would steal from the war dead but if you can have you know a rock star's son swinging on the cenotaph anything is entirely possible geraldine says where can i buy the big poppy for my cars you'll find it on the uh, royal british legion website 
the Royal British Legion website is where you'll find the uh, the big poppies that you put on the card. They're the big big waxed ones, aren't they? Which are quite nice. Mel says, did I hear you say we may get some snow in November? No, I said actually, um, you're going to be getting it Saturday. Saturday. Saturday is what they've said is when you're actually going to get some snow. I can't believe it. Bridget's off for a walk in the dark with the dogs. All got flashing red collars so I can see where they are in the gloom. Actually, I saw a, a flashing um, light, Will, a light the other day, supposed to flashing Santa. I've got a Santa who blows bubbles, actually. I don't think he's intentionally supposed to be blowing bubbles, but he's... No, he is, seriously. It's a little Santa, and he's got a... And I bought it a few years ago. I saw it in Southall, and I bought it, and I've never found it since. And it's Santa with a little tray in front of him, and he's, you put bubble liquid in, and Santa's got um, a little uh, wand... And you, you, you turn him on at the back, you know, in the usual way, you put, put batteries in, and he, he dips down, he puts the wand in, comes up, and he's got a little air fan inside, and he goes, and he blows bubbles. Have you seen one? They're brilliant. Honestly, it was the best. I could sit there for hours watching it. Well, singing Santas are a bit okay, but they do get a bit on your nerves. You know, they, they do get on your nerves a little bit. But the Santa bubble one, if anybody finds one, do let me know. I'll willingly pay for it. But I'd, I'd, I'd quite like it, actually. I'd quite like one for, uh, for this year. They're trying to get you to sing the national anthem before you start school every day. If only people knew the words. Unfortunately, people only ever know the first verse. You know, the God save our gracious Queen, send a victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us, God save the Queen. Unfortunately, it's the next verse that confuses a lot of people. I know it, because I can read it, but I also know bits of it. Thy choicest gifts in store, on her be pleased to pour. Long may she reign, may she defend our laws and ever give us cause to sing with heart and voice, God save the Queen. Fluella Benjamin is one of those people... And the Tory MP, Nicholas Soames, whose granddad, as you know, was Winston Churchill, are saying it should be compulsory to have people singing the national anthem. They do it in other schools, they do it in America, they do it in Japan. Why shouldn't we do it? We should be proud to be singing the national anthem. But uh, it, it seems that, that we don't do it. It always makes me laugh. Whenever you see the Olympics or you see any football game and you watch the football players struggle, well, most of them struggle with the English language anyway, but most of them struggle completely when it comes down to singing the national anthem. It just doesn't, doesn't kind of work, I'm afraid. Uh, Noreen, in the post, as they say, that is the answer. I love the way she sent me, it's me a diabetic. She sends me a lovely card with a picture of a chocolate souffle on the front. <laughs> Which gives you a rough idea what Brian's going to be eating over the next uh, few days. And to help people give up smoking. And I hardly know any smokers. A lot of people have, uh, have given up, including John, who works with Paul Cooper in, uh, in the fruit and veg. He's given up smoking. I thought he'd never give up smoking. But he's, he's stopped at the moment. And now they're saying that nicotine patches and gum should be prescribed. I thought the best thing to give up smoking was the nicotine patches. It was the only thing. I would come in, I would get up in the morning and... Slap a patch on, you know, or slap two patches on, you know, depending on how I was feeling, depending on how I was feeling, like an overdose of nicotine. And uh, it was the only thing that actually stopped me smoking. So, and now we're sort of, what are we, 12 years down the line, it's not bad. Uh, the Royal Mail has uh, asked me to ask you, can you post early for Christmas? We're only in in October. Can you post early for Christmas? What they're saying is, first class letters, December the 20th. Not even in November, I'm reminding you about things like this. And uh, so they've actually enlisted Ellie Simmons. And Ellie Simmons is saying, I'll be posting my Christmas cards to family and friends early so you can enjoy them for as long as possible. Because, you know, there's no point in sending it at the last minute, is it? 
No point in sending it at the last minute because, you know, people just open it and go, oh, look, Carl from Steve. This year I'm determined to do it. I bet I don't manage. I bet I don't manage it. I do like the story, though, of, um, of disabled people, and they'll be covering that story a little bit later on this morning. I think Susan uh, Bookbinder will be covering that, uh, that story in her programme. And, uh, and also, I think she'll be covering the Bond premiere, although I did, in fact, look through the, the pictures on the LBC website, and I, I didn't see me in there, and I didn't see Susan Bookbinder in there, or Nick Fry. In fact, anybody, actually, from here at all. But the, the frocks were all out. And that was just on the men. The women, I don't know, boiler suits, something like that. Uh, and Robbie Williams has snubbed Gary Barlow's X Factor by announcing he's going to appear on Strictly Come Dancing. Oh, it won't be for that ghastly record he's got at the moment. Oh, dear, one of the worst records. The video is OK, but as I said, nice video. Shame about the song. Really appalling. And uh, Greg Wallace has been fined £1,330. Not for writing a rubbish autobiography. But, uh, but, and given six penalty points for driving at 82 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour zone. The presenter, loosely termed, was clocked by a camera van as his Jaguar roared through Detling in Kent. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, with all due respect to people in Detling, you need to whiz through there as fast as possible. You know, if you hang around too long, your wheels can be off and they'll be sort of car booted. So he, he pleaded not uh, guilty by letter, did not attend the hearing. So, um, you know, it was at Whitstable. There was something else about Whitstable in the paper the other day, and I can't remember what it was. There was a story about Whitstable. Because I've always, always fancied living there, because it's, it's on the coast, and it's got a beach, and I'm strangely drawn to water. I don't know why. I'm one of these odd people, you know, being Piscean. I think I'm strangely drawn to water. I'd love to live by water, but you can add a premium onto your house. It costs a lot of money to live by water, so... Uh, so I don't. Well, I mean, I live, I live fairly close to it, but not, not that close. Oh, Neil might have found the... Uh, he said, if I put my Santa suit on and bring my bottle of bubbles round, what would the hourly rate be? Well, I mean, it's a thought, isn't it? I mean, I, I quite like the idea. You, you could try that, actually. You could try that. And, uh, and Jan says, uh, we at the Queen's in Hornchurch take part in the poppy appeal. And this year we have the little metal poppies. If anybody wants one, I know they're hard to come by. I do urge you all to give as much as you can to the Royal British Legion and buy a poppy to show that you remember. It's a very important cause and I know it's close to most of your hearts and I know I shall be buying my poppies very soon. We'll take another quick break here, after which LBC thank you, our listeners. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. Every now and then, LBC is told how many people are listening to the station. And earlier this week, we had some fantastic figures come through with more people listening to LBC than ever before. And it's all thanks to you. It's so dull, isn't it, when you listen to other radio stations? Small wonder this programme wipes the blooming floor with them. You know, I mean, we, we not only take them, we spank them on the bum at the same time, ladies and gentlemen. Every single radio station in London bows down to this one. <sighs> God, oh, God, it's enough of that. Anyway, let's move on, shall we? Loads of things to get through on the programme this morning. The reason you listen is you can't quite believe what you're hearing. Mind you, I can't quite believe what I'm saying half the time. So, so that goes quite well, but we are, all, we are very much geared... To the newspapers, we're very much geared to to uh, to showbiz minor celebrities. We love a minor celebrity. We're very good. 
with minor celebrities. In fact, we we thrive on minor Z-list celebrities, and none more Z-list than poor old Jordan, who I have to mention at the beginning of the programme. Yes, the wizened old has-been baggage, the nastiest little piece of work in the business, has finally been given her comeuppance. Leandro Penna, a man so intelligent he makes her look as thick as a toilet brush, has finally got his own back. Normally, she's the one who sells the stories. She's the one who goes to the papers and goes, I had to get rid of him, he was this and that. The trouble is, he was so good, he was so perfect, he put up with rubbish and filth from her. She treated him like a doormat. We saw it on the television programmes. And I said to you more than a year ago, this will not last. You know what she's like. She starts off being, oh, I'm all loved up and all the rest of it. And then, unfortunately, she has a bit of Botox, looks in the mirror, gets depressed, and so goes out on the hunt to try and find somebody else. And once again, her bedroom door will be a revolve. And they'll be dragging people back there from the X Factor, people who think if you hang around with her that you get fame. Unfortunately, you get the wrong kind of fame. Nobody who's hung around with her has ever got any decent fame at all. She's not a very nice person. And as Leandro has said in the paper today, she's crazy. He said that she was... He said, I don't know what's wrong with her. I'll tell you what's wrong with her. She's vile. She's really, He said, her brain isn't wired right, and I was going insane. So he's a nice, personable young man who really doesn't need to hang around with something as low-life as her. She was horrible to him on the television. But when I, when I, the moment she started being nasty to him on the television programme and pushing it, as if she paid for him, which, of course, she probably had to, because he didn't appear to have any work, um, I knew that things were going to go horribly wrong. And again... I hate to tell you, but, uh, you know, I'm right every single time. Never been wrong. Might have had something wrong the other day, but that was, that was neither here nor there. But on something like that, he, said, uh, he says here, her brain is not wired properly, the wires don't connect. I don't know. I don't know what's the matter with her. Nobody knows what's the matter. Well, I'll tell you what's the matter with her. She thinks that she's really clever, but in fact, she's thick. And when somebody's thick, but they think they're really clever, she thinks she's a businesswoman. You know, and to all intents and purposes, she is... But for the purpose of flogging a few tatty old books, a few naff old riding outfits, there are hundreds of things she's touched which have died on their proverbial. The reason she's still on the front pages is because she just looks now so peculiar. You know that when you watch her on the television programmes, there's so much hatred inside her for everything. She feels that life has dealt her a really bad blow. She knows that she doesn't know what to wear. She's got no idea what to wear for anything because she hasn't got any idea. She was just a bimbo who was taken and they said, get your boobs out, have them enlarged, do this, do that. And that's what made her. But, you know, to call her glamorous is really like sort of, you know, she's not. She's not. She's an over-made-up bimbo, and she's brainless at the same time. OK, so she's made loads of money. But she's not made it. Her agent, Claire, was the one who helped make that Katie Price fortune. She was the sole one who turned it all around. You know, the book deals, we know she doesn't write. The, uh, the clothing, she doesn't design anything. All she does is she puts her name to something, and they sell it to them. They go, oh, Katie Price, and of course we can put you on her TV programme. So that's how they sell it. Most of her friends are a bit fair-weather. She sits around at home. You know, and she thinks she's being really clever, but the sort of people who follow Katie Price are generally people with one or two screws loose, and you would affectionately call them chavs. You, would, you know, you've only got to see them turning out. She either attracts puffy boys who stand in line because for some reason they think she's drag, which of course she's not, but I know it's borderline. In fact, sometimes drag is more attractive. And then, you know, she picks up boys, drops them. Now she's been texting some bloke on the, uh, the X Factor, and... Um, it, this was a man she was seen at the sea restaurant in London's Mayfair. Now, all of a sudden, I've started noticing this sea restaurant cropping up. It's a bit like the Mayfair Hotel. 
You know, and every time the Mayfair Hotel was mentioned, with all due respect to them, the people who went there appeared to be low Z-listers. They go, and here's Kerry Coke Toner at the Mayfair Hotel. Here's so-and-so at the Mayfair Hotel. Here's Jordan at the Mayfair Hotel. Now we've got people going to the C restaurant in Mayfair. Well, it, this is the place that lets in Cheryl Cole. <laughs> Not for me, thank you very much indeed. And she went there. As well. If you went to a restaurant in Mayfair and there was the likes of Jordan in there, I'd be so fast out the door. You imagine people sitting there, well-heeled people in Mayfair, and they go, who's that? That's Jordan. Oh, de- pe- eat, eat quickly. Out. Don't hang around a place like that. It's quite clear. It's like going to the local kebab shop and finding Rylan in there or anybody from The Only Way is Essex. You walked into a place and there's Lydia Bright or Lauren Goodyear there, you're out the door. You don't hang around, because that's not your sort of place, because you have to you have to raise the stakes a little bit. So I laughed like a drain. When I, now, I, I promise you now, Leandro, her venom will know no boundaries. She will let fly. She will be sitting down there. She will be looking to destroy you. She's that sort of person. I promise you, mark my word, she's done it to every single person, from Alex Reed, admittedly kind of justified, to... Um, to, I've forgotten his name already. It's uh, Peter Andre, and to the one before that. She does it to everybody. She's vile. So you mark my words, ladies and gentlemen. You watch over this weekend, Jordan, why I had to ditch Leandro. But you know the truth. He dumped her because she's not all there in the brain department. And it's years of, you know, somebody described her very well, and it was a well-known presenter. I won't tell you who it is, because they're very, very well-known. And he said he interviewed Jordan once. He said, and you look in her eyes, and they're soulless. He said, it's like she's a faded porno star who's been so used over the years that there's nothing left to give until she trowels on the polyfiller and sort of makes a, a weak appearance in the world. And she's a bit like that, you know. She's got children... But she spends a lot of time at parties, a lot of time... Tr- she has to accept the fact she's old. Nobody's interested in the, in the glamour side of it. She's not glamorous. She looks like she's been so Botoxed. But the trouble is, because she can't carry it off, because she's not... doesn't have a figure for it. And because she's got no idea of fashion... You know, when, when, when you have in front of you what are roughly two hippopotamuses, you know, laughingly called breasts, you can't wear anything because you're always going to look cheap. And unfortunately for Jordan, she looks cheap. But you mark my words, Leandro, she's done it every time. She'll do it again. She will be out to get you. Because nobody makes the pricey. You watch in her column this week, the pricey will be attacking. Ooh, and she'll be vile and vitriotic, vitriolic. Which is what, you know, she's in the market of. So, uh, you mark my word. I'm never wrong. Never, never wrong. That's why more people are listening to this programme than the shipping forecast. Uh, other stories in the uh, in the papers. There was one actual story. I had to mention it because I, I sort of I cut it out. Well, I didn't cut it out. I'm not allowed to cut papers out. Matron says I'm not allowed anything sharp in this building, so I have to sort of just sit there and fold bits of paper over, which is quite nice. Oh, there was a... I'm sorry to go back onto this story again. This is a story that goes back, for me, 40 years when we exposed on my programme the so-called talent agencies who ask for a fee for getting your kid onto their books. Modelling or getting people into entertainment, if anybody charges you a fee, they're a rip-off artist. I've, I've lost track of how many times I've had to explain this to people. If you take your kid or your granny or your dog or your whatever into an agency and they charge you for a set of photos, they're thieving you, they're robbing you blind... You know, if they're interested in you, they will actually, you know, they will pay for it. And here it is. It's uh, an agency. And this was uh, a young girl here. This is Ronnie Ann Winch. 
I do hate children with, you know, double-barrelled names. Ronnie Anne. I'm sorry. It says Chav to me straight away. But anyway, she sent a photograph to La Mode London, London's premier model advice company. Therein lies the clue. Model advice company. And she said, I was invited for a photo shoot. I had an interview with top model Rylan Ross Clark. This is this puffy boy on the television at the moment. And uh, he told me I had potential and I'd definitely be offered work. Bearing in mind, this girl here is 12. Okay, she's 12 years old. Her parents signed up to Lamode's platinum package. Guess how? Three grand. Three thousand. I'd have seen the word rip off a mile off. You never pay for this stuff. Anyway, some of the potential jobs Lamode emailed to her. She's 12. Female extras needed for party scene. Glamorous, attractive, slim girls will have to wear a bikini. She's 12. This is some pervy agency, if you ask me. Uh, Casting. A mature oriental model aged between 30 and 40. ITV's Take Me Out, looking for female contestants aged 18 plus. When Ronnie Anne's mum, Wendy, complained, Lamode had not found any work, Ronnie Anne was offered a day's model training for another £500. And Wendy said, that's when I knew I'd been conned. The director of Lamode London is Helen Smith. Although Ryland Clark is not on the board, several angry clients, besides Ronnie Anne, have said he was on the day of their shoot. Oh, dear. It becomes quite nasty, doesn't it? Quite nasty. Anyway, after the photos, we didn't have a minute to breathe before they started trying to sell their 2,500 package. This was the parents of Kirby Aldred. Kirby. What are these people? K-I-R-B-E-E. Kirby. Jesus. 16. Anyway... And, and they said, oh, your girl's really beautiful, and she's this and that. Well, I'm sorry. You know, models are spotted by talent people. Models don't walk into agencies. Somebody would be walking down the street, model scouts, and they'll go, you, there's a card, come and see us at Premier or wherever it happens to be. You know, when Lamode described themselves as London's Premier Model Advice Company, that's not an agency. That's called, let's get money out of you as quickly as possible. Um, you know, £3,000 bought you... Nothing apart from a few sets of useless photographs. Absolutely useless. I'm looking at this girl here. I don't know whether she's got model potential. You know, I sometimes look at sort of fashion. She's 12, though. She's 12. But any agency that charges you money, you run a mile. You run a mile. I remember seeing one once, and it was, want to be in voiceovers? And it was an advert that ran in the standard for ages. Want to be in voiceovers? And the stage ran it. Call this premium rate phone line to be in voiceovers. I'm telling you now, nobody ever, ever got a gig in voiceovers on radio, television or anything else through answering an advert. The people they take, they wouldn't even take me for voiceover work. They're looking for actors. They want actors. That's why all the top voiceover agencies, all the people on their books, 99.9% are actors or people with velvety brown voices who go dog a bank and finisterre. And, you know, people like uh, Anthony Davis who can, you know, sell you a chocolate bar on a stick and say it's shaken and not stirred. You know, I don't do things like that. I'm afraid that's not my kind of thing. But uh, Ryland, of course, nothing surprises me. And who's his best friend? Oh, wait a minute. It's Jordan. I'm so disappointed to still have to be talking about that non-entity, Rylan, and don't even get me started on Jordan. Although I'm very pleased that Leandro was able to dish the dirt on her before she had a chance to sell her side of the story, so good on him. Well, those were my best bits from last week. I'm back tomorrow at 4am and throughout the week, so join me then. You can download the podcast from the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Steve Allen Show. Coming up next, you'll hear from two celebrities from my In Conversation With 
But now it's the latest news at six.